You're listening to Shade, the podcast where I chat to a wide community of creatives across disciplines, photographers, painters, writers, filmmakers, and even policy makers, working within the media and beyond, who have all challenged the concepts of race and identity within their work. I'm Lou Menser, writer and photographer, and I've always wondered why people create the work that they do. This week, I chat with child therapist, parent and race educator Rizwan Foxhall on why and how she used her own experiences to support other parents on the journey of raising their own children. When I had my son and, you know, as he was growing up and getting to school age, I started to look at, you know, where would I um, have him go to school? And my son is very high energy, spirited young boy. And I just thought that if I put him in traditional school, it, it was going to be challenging for him, you know, and also being uh, what is he's biracial, but he's perceived in America as black. So being a black young um, man, young boy at the time in school it'd be challenging I was really afraid of him being labeled and um you know and kind of like challenged in school because of being this like high energy young black boy you know which oftentimes gets um, perceived as being naughty or being um disrespectful or you know being a young black boy who has energy and who speaks up and who is, you know, confident, uh, doesn't always translate well in the school system. So I actually ended up taking my, um, decided, my husband and I decided that we were going to go the homeschooling route, at least for the first few years of, of his life. So then, so I really got interested in, in this learning about the population of children who are marginalized, whether it's by race or by physical ability or children who just don't fit the status quo, you know? So I just Mm. felt like they were being left out or they were being, in a way, criminalized (laughs) from a very young age. You know, I hate to use that word for young children, but that's what seemed to be happening because uh, they're always uh, pulled out or called out for behavior that's probably normal for a lot of kids, Mm. but... So that became my interest, and I started learning about that and studying more about that. And that led me to pediatric occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. So I I went back to school and got my master's in pediatric occupational therapy. And as years went by, I realized that uh, I need to also, it wasn't enough just providing uh, therapy for two days a week for 30 minutes or 45 minutes Mm. for a child that what if I worked with parents and gave them the tools and empowered them Mm. because they spent more time with their children so that's what led me to parenting so I started like educating myself about becoming a parenting educator and it's just recently that I got certified as a parent educator but I've been doing parenting workshops for years now Mm. and and so that same, you know, will of trying to figure out how to reach and provide opportunity for these marginalized kids led me to the Children's Theatre Company, mm. which uh, my son was very much into, you know, his high energy was great for theatre, <laughs> to use <laughs> yeah. theatre. 
So that kind of evolved to me. First, I started taking him to New York City. My friend ran this company called Children's Theater Company. I loved their motto was building character on stage. So they were using theater as a tool for critical thinking and problem solving and looking at the problems in the world through musical theater and teaching kids that they can be a voice of positive change in the world. And I thought, this is great. So it it doesn't just teach them. It gives them an outlet for their energy and teaches them how to speak uh, in public. It teaches Mm -hmm. them. So it's not just about theater. It was really about building character and building these life skills, Mm -hmm. you know, so that wherever, whatever industry or whatever they decide to do in the future, they would have these life skills. And so that led to theater, and then that kind of evolved into this new era creative space, which mm-hmm. is an organization, a charitable organization that I run right now. I founded about six years ago to really reach out to this population of um, families and children who may not have access to good programming, mm-hmm. creative programming. And so I decided to create a space where we can have children take programs creative whether it's the arts we do the arts we do social um social emotional learning so we do a lot of leadership programs for for children and youth and creative arts programs for children and youth but we make it affordable and in many instances we make it free for those who don't have the means to so that's kind of my um background (laughs) Mm, that is so interesting and also when you were talking about the work there it also made me think that what is also happening is that the children are learning that their voice is important right (laughs) yes absolutely you know and that's that's an amazing uh, such an amazing thing Um, and language labeling is very important in the development of all children's identities but especially that of biracial children and you were saying that um you know your son would be viewed by society as black it's it's all about trying to figure out where we fit in society right Mm -hmm. Um, but i think i having had this conversation with my children so i'll talk from a personal as opposed to um is I asked my, I recently asked both of them what they consider themselves. And they said that they consider themselves biracial. However, in the world, they call themselves black. Or when they're filling applications and stuff, they fill out black. My son said for two reasons. First, because the world sees him as black, so he puts in black. Mm -hmm. But he also said that sometimes it actually... um, gives him access to opportunities that he wouldn't otherwise have, you know? So he uses that also for that reason, and which was interesting to me. But yeah, the world sees them as black and treats them as, in America anyway, treats them as black children. Mm. So they have to navigate that, you know, and with with that comes a lot of um, prejudice and biases, right? So yeah. my children have to navigate that. But I think internally they see themselves as biracial because we have, you know, uh, their father is white and we have a very loving family from his side that the children feel very connected to their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles. They've always been loved and accepted. 
So, of course, they have allegiance to their to both sides, right? Absolutely. So I think they see themselves as biracial mm. and feel comfortable in being both white and black. But when they carry themselves in the world, they're very aware of the fact that they're considered black and will be treated as such. Ms. Mm. Wan, I'm really interested um, in hearing a little bit about how you guided your children through the key stages of their journey of identity as biracial children from perhaps when they started asking questions about race. Um, I don't know when that started. For my daughter, it was about the age of four um, when she was aware of her skin colour being different from that of most of her um, school friends because we lived in uh, in a white um, area, in a white town, and she went to a school that was predominantly pop. Uh, white populated so of course the conversation started quite early on but um yeah I'm just really interested in hearing um about your experience and how you guided and supported your children through um exploring their identity from when they were younger up until when perhaps they started their self-exploration as as young adults so I think for me it's it's you know it's been a lifelong <laughs> journey of just like you know guiding them mm-hmm. and I think it's still the teenagers um, now well my son turns 20 in a couple of weeks and my daughter is 17 tomorrow well done so I can't pinpoint when um, we uh, they identified as black really but I do know that what my let me say, how do I say this? What I have focused on really is kind of um, dismantling the myths of being black Uh or biracial for them, Mm -hmm. right? Because here's the thing, our children get socialized and they start to believe that, you know, black is, you know, attached black to violence or to lazy or to some of those horrible stereotypes that are attached to black, you know, so for me, I made a great effort in showing them, you know, black people who were, uh, who, who led the way for us, right? Dismantling those stereotypes. So as the world is socializing them that they are less, I kept, I tried to socialize them to, um, to realize that they are capable of being kind, of being leaders, of being compassionate, of that they are born with potential. I mean, that was a really strong message I was trying to lead, show, um, get to them, kind mm-hmm. of, kind of like break the stereotype, this myth of black, because I didn't want them to feel that I, you know how, you know, I notice in society that a lot of young children they take on those stereotypes, right? because they're being bombarded with this image of what it means to be black. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as someone who came from Nigeria to this country, because I'm Nigerian, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of believed those stereotypes because there wasn't an about black people in America. There wasn't, I wasn't getting a different version of what it meant to be black, but what we got from the media, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I was social and I had to learn or unlearn really everything I thought I knew about black people when I came here and started reading the history and learning about really what went on in this country. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So for my children, I was really, it was really important to me to show them that Black people are just as capable, right? Yeah. That yeah. we are created equal and, mm. and that this myth, that the system was created to make, make us feel or put us in a certain place and that's not who we are, that we are created noble, right? Yeah. Every human being is. So that was a message that I just keep, even to today, it's interesting because yesterday we, I was talking to my son about this and just reminding him of who he is and mm -hmm. who he is as someone who's capable of being a leader. You know, yeah. there's so many African-Americans and African people all over the world that have been leaders, that have been inventors and scientists and, mm. you know, in all kinds of professions, but we don't. So I think for me, that was my way of, of doing it was just to remind them that they are capable mm. and, and then show them examples of leaders, of black leaders, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I do the same um, with my daughter. And like I say, she's 10 years old. And so she's still at that sort of stage of the world is great and everything is great and we are all equal and and there is no sort of difference between anybody um when it comes to their talents and um their their inherent um human personal traits exactly. but, when, but when we went to the Nelson Mandela exhibition she was visibly quite shocked as to why the separation according to skin colour happens and to try and explain to her the reasons why you know to a 10 year old child she's still like yeah but wh why exactly right it's just it's really challenging because you know exactly why to a child from a child's perspective why would we even do that you know but um and so it's challenging and it's just for me, it's I, I don't remember any specific, you know, what I would have said to my children. I'm sure it came up, but just, you know, there's some people explaining to them that there are some people in this world who would like to take advantage of um, other people just to to benefit themselves. Because race is really like a made up, right, yes. construct. So mm -hmm. and it was made up for just uh, for to benefit a, a small number of people mm -hmm. right so and it's hard to explain to it's challenging to explain to a young person why but it but I think you know I'm having a difficult time because like how do you explain to a young person yeah it's but very I, difficult yeah because it makes no sense right mm -hmm. I mean none of it makes sense and the fact that it's still we're still perpetuating the system actually the system is perpetuating itself and people yes. are just blindly you know keeping it where it is but you know there are people who are I mean I think for young people explaining to them you know with my children it's always like there are people who are greedy and there are people who are not kind in this world and there are people who you know are not um, spiritually minded and they think that this is the way to carry on mm. but that that isn't the way that's not the way we want to raise them right we want to raise them to be better than you know 
Yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, it's just, I find some, it's something that I've stumbled over a few times. And I was just like, do you know what, some people seem to need to find ways to express in the way that they may, uh, that they think that they are stronger or better than other people, you know, and it's like the gender thing. I was like, you know what it's like, you know what it's like at school where boys think perhaps they're faster at running or stronger, you know, and it's just not true. And you understand, that and people will find all different ways to try and elevate themselves over somebody else that I find that she asks very logical questions absolutely brilliant right so she it just doesn't make but to a child you know it doesn't make sense especially a child that you've been kind of um, socializing different by showing her all of these positive images of black people and then to see that it's like that makes absolutely no sense you know if if she has confidence in herself you know yeah. it's really kind of hard to reconcile with truly a journey because I don't think it stops I still have you know I had a long conversation with my son this um yesterday because we were at a retreat in Maine mm. and I spoke I co-facilitated facilitated a workshop on racism and and parenting and so we were kind of unpacking that in the car on the way back and I think the journey continues because our children because my son is now in college my daughter is in in um a junior she's just finished her junior year mm-hmm. and they're constantly out there in the world having to deal with racism and stereotypes and so it the sort of journey it's a, it truly is a journey in which we accompany them, right? And we guide them and we counsel them and we support them. But I think the for me, the important thing is to just really remind them that they are, that no one can take away their, their human right in a way. And that's the right to that God-given potential, if you believe in God, you know, <laughs> that yeah. that we come with, with that human capacity for greatness that we all have within us and just keep reminding for me it's just to keep reminding them of that we had a conversation uh last week um about our experiences um of racism that we've experienced and how as parents we can use that and understand as a tool of understanding to help guide our children. And and that conversation led on to talking about how the experiences of being a white parent to a biracial child would be different um, than that for the black parent in terms of the lived experiences of racism. I don't know if you've had any experience of that on your workshops or your panels or your your talks in terms of how different an experience it would be for a white parent than than a black parent. Yeah. So for me, um, being being a black parent, I live this experience of being black in America. So I experience some of the stereotypes and um, well, not some, all <laughs> of the stereotypes and yes. you know. But I think coming from Africa, just going back to a step back to a conversation we had last week when mm-hmm. we talked, you know, coming from Africa and having lived in India, I came to this country quite naive of about racism and the history. And I knew none of that. And of course, the schools don't teach the real history of um, racism in America. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of had to learn a lot on my own. And I think the learning really started when I had children. Mm. I think to some degree, and sometimes I kind of like I'm angry at myself for not not paying more attention sooner. You know, I think it would have made a lot, it would have clarified a lot of things when I went through being discriminated against. I would have had a better understanding had I done some more digging. But okay. of course, having children kind of leads you, yes. <laughs> you know, catapults yeah. you into like, oh, I need to figure this out. And I need to figure this out really quickly in order to be yes. able to guide my kids. So in doing that, I, you know, I've learned a lot about and I've been I think as a black parent, I've been able to kind of guide my kids um, through this process of dealing with these um, these uh stereotypes or the racism that they receive but as someone who came from Nigeria and there's a certain level of I can be detached I know the history and the more I read it the more angry I get sometimes Mm -hmm. and then but there's a level of detachment because I didn't grow up in this country Mm -hmm. right so I'm not as easily triggered I think Right. So I can, and which which sometimes makes me a voice that people can hear, mm. because I can, I am in in some ways I'm I am even though I've lived here for thirty year plus years I'm still a sort of an outsider, mm-hmm. who's looking at this and so certain things that might trigger someone who's African American and has lived here and has ancestors you know were here and slaves and mine were not. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it gives me a kind of a detached, a different lens, mm-hmm. right? And so I can, so I can talk and educate people about what's going on and also my children without the emotional, um, without getting overly emotional, right? Yeah. If that makes any, I don't know if I'm making sense. No, that doesn't make sense. There's a level of detachment that that allows me, which in a way is a privilege, and it, which is why I use my voice to kind of like fight this, um, to be an activist in this fight to undo racism. Yeah. And so for my children, so for white parents, it's different. I mean, my husband is different for him, right? So he has to, he hasn't lived that. He recognizes his privilege, right? And we've had, we have this conversation all the time about privilege and him recognizing his privilege, and he sees that his his lived experience is going to be very different from his children's lived experience, right? So I think for white people whose children um, are mixed race, they need to kind of listen and be open to really understanding that just because, you know, if your child chooses, because I, I remember talking at one of my panels, the mother was um, upset that her child chooses to be considered black, right? It was very upsetting for her as a white parent. And, you know, and I can see how it would be upsetting because she said that in some ways it felt like the daughter was denying, you know, her being white. But I think in those instances, it's important for white um, parents to learn about what what white privilege and white fragility is Mm -hmm. and how the world sees that their child's lived experience is going to be very different from theirs. And to to be open to listening 
to really listening empathetically. And I don't think it has, I don't know, I don't think it has to do with whether or not they love you, mm-hmm. you know, but more of them trying to figure out where they fit in this picture, mm-hmm. you know, in this world that considers them black and will treat them as such, such mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think for white parents, you know, I'm, I can't, because I'm, I can't put myself in their shoes, but from you know, speaking to my husband, I think it's very important to be empathetic and to listen and to really understand and read and understand the history of this country and what black people in, um, have, have gone through mm-hmm. and, and how biracial, you know, children in many cases had the, it was a black community that accepted them, yes. right? Yes. So, so they had to because they can't. A biracial kid cannot choose to call themselves white, yes. whether they like it or not. They don't have that option. Yes. You know, in at least in America, I don't know about the UK, but that's not an option to them. You mentioned home educating your children earlier, and it's something that we both chose to to do um, for various. Uh, and different reasons but also for very similar reasons Um, and we've talked before about the education system and its labeling and discrimination Um, what have been the the positives for you guys as a family in terms of supporting the identities of your children growing up within that home education experience so yeah I we so we homeschooled our children my son was homeschooled through fourth grade and my daughter through third grade Mm. and then they um my son went into the public school system Mm -hmm. I think one of the positives that I find for my children was they had before going into public school they had a pretty strong sense of who they were, you know, before entering the school system. Um, so they were, I guess, in some ways, we kept them from being labeled or, you know, shamed for who they are or experienced. Mm-hmm. So I think they were a little bit sheltered. But in doing, in in homeschooling, you know, we didn't homeschool them isolated. I did homeschool them with a group of um, other children, Yes. It was a pretty diverse group at the time mm-hmm. when my kids were being homeschooled. So the idea was, uh, at least for me, was to um, raise them in a way that they had strong self-identity Yes. and felt kind of grounded. So I feel that when both my children went into school, even though, you know, going into a public school was kind of like very different in terms of how schools were run and how we homeschooled. So it took a little getting used to, but I felt mm-hmm. that they had a, a stronger sense of who they are, you know, within that system. Yes. And yes, they, you know, going through the system was a struggle. By no means was it easy, you know, and all of those experiences, you know, come into play. But I feel that we were better able to kind of then guide them. Yes, yeah. And it wasn't such a struggle, Mm. you know, to guide them through the process of going through um, the middle school and then eventually high school. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for a girl, too, you know, for my daughter, and my daughter is just naturally, she's really um, sensitive, 
beautiful individual and for her and she she's at 17 I would say she's pretty assertive but that wasn't her strength when she was younger it's something that had to be cultivated you know and something I consciously worked on cultivating you know um, within her because I knew she had it within her I just had to figure out how to you know um, strengthen that quality in her and I think for girls it's really important and an assertiveness for girls comes out you know as being like bossy or whatever stereotype society will like to label on girls but I think it's important that we um, we train girls or we we kind of encourage them to be assertive, to stand up for themselves and to, because there's, there's a lot that they might face even when it gets to time to date or whatever, you know, or when their peers are dating much younger than you'd like them to. And, and you know, I, I work with girls, a lot of girls, and they're not dating because they want to. They're dating because it's a thing to do, you know. So they're not often assertive enough to say, you know, I don't really want to do this. I'd really rather just focus on my education or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I think for girls, it's important to like build, um, encourage them to to be assertive and to empower them, embolden them so that they can stand up for themselves. And I think being homeschooling my daughter gave me time. Really, I really say homeschooling for me bought me time, time to instill in them those qualities that I felt that they needed Mm. before going to school. Mm. I completely agree with you on that. Um, Talking to you has been such an enriching experience and um, I could listen to you all day. I hope you come over to London at some point. Well, I'll keep that, you know, I'm hoping (laughs) next year I'll make it there. So I will definitely be in touch with you when the time comes. If any of our listeners would like to access or um, engage with your work, how would they be able to do that? Um, so I can be re- reached. My name is um, a bit confusing. It's Rizwan, but it's written R-I-D-V-A-N. Yeah. So I can be reached at RizwanFoxhall.com, which mm-hmm. is my personal website. And there I have, I just started recently this year, I'm writing blog posts on parenting and I must say I'm not writing it as quickly as I had wished. <laughs> I had wished that I'd be publishing once a week but now it started out as twice a month and now we're down to once a month but I'm working on it. Yeah it's life. So I've been you know life gets really um, busy so it's hard so I'm trying to make time to do some more writing about some of the work that I do in parenting and so so if people um, subscribe to my on my webpage, they can then get newsletters about the uh, blog post uh, that I write. So mm-hmm. that's for my personal work as a parenting educator and uh, occupational therapist. People can find me at rizwanfoxhall.com. And then for my nonprofit organization called New Era Creative Space. Mm-hmm. And that people can find me at necspace.org. And that's just my organization and the work that I do with youth. Let's just hope that one day you'll write a book for us with one. because uh... <laughs> Once I get my organization where I'm not wearing too many hats and I can like 
hand some of your responsibility to other people. I'll sit down and write that book that I keep fantasizing about writing. I really, really appreciate your time and sharing your deep experience with us. I feel really honored to be that you reached out to me and and I loved talking to you last week and, and being on the podcast.